All right, good evening, everybody. <clears throat> Greetings to you in the name of Jesus tonight. It's good to be with you again. Um, feels at the end of a series of meetings like this, like uh, you all know the story of Samson. <laughs> I sometimes bring that up. It's like, just put me between those pillars, and he prays, God, give me strength one more time. Knocks <laughs> down the temple. Uh, that's sort of how it feels after a week of meetings. It's like, one more time? Okay, Lord, help me to do it again. So anyway, tonight um, we're going to look at uh, Scripture in Luke chapter 4, so you can turn there a while, and while you turn there, I'll say some more nice things about you. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being a blessing to us. Thank you for, especially at uh, Nathan and his wife for taking care of us this week, providing us a roof overhead, plumbing to use, electricity to use, and uh, so uh, Lord bless you for that and the rest of you for caring so well for us, feeding us so well, loving us, praying for us, and all of that. So we're just very grateful, and uh, we will have good memories of our week here with you, and we've had several of you say come back sometime and visit us. This is not on the way to the places we normally go, but hey, who knows, maybe, maybe some point that will happen. Anyway, uh, the title of the sermon tonight is What Jesus Came to Do. And it's going to sort of be a marching orders for you at the end of the sermon this evening. Uh, because what Jesus came to do in reality has been turned over to you because you are here and he is not. He has ascended into heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of God, but he has millions of his followers and his children and his servants left behind here on earth. So you are here to do his work. Well, let's uh, look at this scripture here, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and we're going to... Read down to verse 21. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them this day, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? And I will add to that, that it is still being fulfilled today. Okay? The work of Jesus continues on. I will not have you turn to it, but the original scripture that he was reading from Isaiah 61, he stopped short of reading the entire prophecy. And the part that he left out was uh, Isaiah 61, uh, verse 
3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. That is not what I wanted to read. The part that I want to read was in verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, period, that's where he stopped, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's the part he did not continue with. Because he was not coming to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. He was coming to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the acceptable year of the Lord is even today. It's right now. And so the day of judgment is still ahead. Let us notice uh, what Jesus said about himself. Um, Jesus very specifically in the Nazareth synagogue said this scripture here in Isaiah very directly is talking about me. Okay, And what did he say about himself? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so tonight Jesus is the anointed of God. He is the Christ. That word Christ means the anointed one. He had a unique position, and a unique work. The Spirit was upon him, the Spirit was within him, and the Spirit was one with him. Now, I don't know if you can imagine life with the unbridled presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, that there is nothing inhibiting his work. What kind of a person would you be? Maybe you would be a I don't know, maybe we'd all be Billy Graham. Or maybe we would all be someone who is just completely, always sacrificing totally for the good of other people. I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. But the goal must be, as a Christian tonight, the goal must be that the Holy Spirit has more and more of me all the time. Okay? See, the inhibition that the Holy Spirit has in working in your life is you. You are the inhibition. You are the limiting factor. And so it's not that he is not capable. And it's not that he will not do great things with your life if you let him. It is that you are the limiting factor. And it has to do with how much of you you give to him. Okay? Because the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit was within Jesus and the Holy Spirit was one with Jesus. So that when Jesus did what he did and when he said what he said, it was totally under the direction and the control of the Holy Spirit. He was the anointed one and there was nothing in the way. He did not have the flesh holding him back and holding him down. And keeping him from totally doing the will of God. Okay? Can we understand that tonight? And so the goal that you need to have as a Christian is that the Holy Spirit continues to have more and more of me all the time. Because the truth is, he wants to inhabit every area and every aspect of our life. Okay? In fact, I don't know if I said this here or not, but, but 
There is not even one area of your life that the Holy Spirit will not affect and he, that he will not change if you allow him to. He will change the way you think. He will change your values. He will change the way you talk. He will change the way you walk. He will change the way you dress. He will change the way you live in every area. He will change your values. He'll change you thoroughly, totally, completely, and any other adverbs that apply, okay? He will change you from the inside out. He will make you into a totally different person than you would otherwise be. And I want to say it again. You are the limiting factor. It's a matter of your decision. It's a matter of your choice. It's a matter of how much you're willing to give. And as we give him more and more, he will bless more and more of your life. And so, in reference to Jesus, there was no inhibition. Jesus was just totally under the direction and control of the Holy Spirit. John 3.34, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, talking about Jesus, he speaks the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, it's all there. And tonight, we should be delighted and excited that Jesus speaks the words of God. Now I want to tell you, I want to explain another miracle to you. A, a, a miracle tonight is that God, I don't know what language God speaks. Do you? Well, we all think he speaks English because we have English Bibles. Okay. Oh yeah, God speaks English. We can see it plain. But what is the language of the eternal God of heaven? What is that? And don't you think that maybe he'd have a pretty big vocabulary? Don't you think the words that he would use would be very, very complicated? And you know what? He translated it. He knows that you are limited. Okay? Some of us are more limited than others. But he knows that we're limited. He knows that we, you know, can't really perceive everything. He knows that we live in this little world down here and we have very little brains inside of our very little heads and we can't really perceive or understand a lot. So he communicated Jesus as he walked through this world. You know what? He used the language of the people. He spoke a language that they could understand and he brought the eternal thoughts of the all-wise and intelligent God down to a level that he could talk to mankind in the language of the day, and they would say, yeah. Well, they didn't always get it, but, but they usually got it. They usually understood what he said. And so he speaks the words of God and the fact that people in 2019 and people who speak the English language and people like you at this church and people like live in Reading and people that live anywhere can actually pick up a Bible and they can actually read the words of God. That is awesome. Okay? And so God spoke through Jesus in a way that man could understand. So Jesus Christ, he experienced the unbridled presence, power, and leading of the Holy Spirit. No restrictions, no limiting factors as we experience. And so who gets in the way of God's working? It's us, it's me. Not so with Jesus. Let's move on here 
to the next thing he says. Because He says, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I don't know who qualifies here tonight. Rich. I look at you and I say, rich people. You got nice houses. You got refrigerators with food in. You probably even have some money in your bank account. And, uh, you know, it looks like you might be rich. But he came to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Now, you know, if, if it takes being poor to receive the gospel, God, make me poor. If that's what it takes to receive the gospel, God, make me poor. Because receiving the gospel, having the gospel proclaimed to you, and being in a state of mind and a state of heart to receive it, is absolutely a much greater treasure than any earthly treasure could be. To have a heart and a mind to receive the gospel. So I don't know, maybe tonight we should be praying, God, make me poor. Make me poor so I can receive your gospel. He came to proclaim the gospel to the poor. Don't the rich people, the wealthy people, the well-off need the gospel too? Well, obviously, Jesus said some things to the disciples one day, and he said, talking about the rich young ruler, uh, we had this in our Sunday school a few weeks ago, I don't think you did, but uh, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, the, and you know, he actually, it must have meant exactly what he said, because the disciples said, well then, who can be saved? In other words, that's what he said. He said, it's, harder for, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they all stood back and said, well, who, who can be saved? Thankfully, there was an answer. <laughs> he said, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So a, a rich man can be saved. But it's all of grace. It's not because he's rich. It's not because he can pay his way. It's because God is rich in mercy and grace and love that a rich man can be saved. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We had a devotional this week from James. Yeah. But uh, James chapter 2. He says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? Jesus himself said, and this is what I just was referring to, how hardly... The rich man shall hardly enter in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus and James both say similar things. Um, Thankfully, it is possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Paul wrote to Timothy. And I don't know. These aren't our favorite scriptures, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Actually, all scriptures ought to be our favorite scriptures, right? But here it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, and you know what it says. It says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
Now, would you agree with me tonight that many times poor people are more receptive? Poor people can be, are usually more receptive to the gospel. They're more dependent. Often they're more humble, more open, more down to earth. Not always, but sometimes they're even more reasonable. Rich people are often snobbish. They are arrogant, maybe aloof. They're independent. They got it all together, and they couldn't be bothered. So when it comes to the gospel, unfortunately, or maybe I should say fortunately, many times the poor are the preferred and favored audience. The poor realize they need good news. They need God. When considering this truth, it looks like it is beneficial to be poor. But that's not what we're not all trying to be. We're not trying to be poor. But maybe it's beneficial to be poor. Actually, the truth is there's something about being poor. We were just talking about this this evening at our supper table, I believe. The benefits of being poor. It's good for us to be poor. When we're poor, we recognize our need. We recognize that we're not the king of this world. We recognize that we are needy individuals. And being poor is actually sometimes good for us. Perhaps we should be praying that the Lord would make us poor so that we can be rich in faith and rich in spiritual wealth, rich in grace, mercy, and love. Well, thankfully, the rich can be rich in those things too, but it may be more difficult. Another thing that Jesus said, he said, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And I don't need to tell you tonight that we live in a brokenhearted world. I don't know if you have an epidemic down here like they do in Pennsylvania, but there's people that are dying from drugs. I suppose it's happening in Virginia too. Why are people dying from drugs? Because they're brokenhearted. Brokenhearted people. They do not have a true satisfaction of the heart. They don't have joy in their life. They do not have peace. They do not have love flowing in to and out of their life. They're miserable. They're empty. Life is a wreck. And so they're on drugs trying to get a little bit of peace and pleasure out of life. The world is full of brokenhearted people. And the truth is tonight, Jesus heals the broken heart. Jesus heals the broken heart. And so maybe there was a time in your life that you can say, you know, I was really a brokenhearted person. Maybe you came in here tonight. Maybe you came in here as a broken-hearted person. I want to assure you tonight that if you have been a broken-hearted person, and if you are a broken-hearted person, and if you ever are in the future a broken-hearted person, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ 
heals broken hearts. He does. And he does it by many different means. And so I, I, would, I would proclaim boldly tonight that every man and every woman in this world can be healed by Jesus Christ. He can heal them. He can heal their broken hearts. He can give them a new life. He can put them back into the right condition. And he can send them out with a new purpose. Jesus can do that for anybody. And I know that. I know that tonight. i tell you why I know that. You know why I know that? Because he did it for me. He did it for me. I know he can do it for others. And you can know that tonight because he's done it for you. He has healed your broken heart. He has given you a new life. He has sent you out with a new purpose. And because of that, you know it works. And he can do it for anybody. Anybody who will let him. He will heal their broken heart. Many people are very disappointed, very confused, and very hopeless. Because the world said, and you know who's behind the world? Who's behind that system? Y'all know, don't you? Satan is behind it. Satan is behind the system of the world. And the world is always telling people things. Things. You need the right things. If you have the right things, you'll have the right life. It's a lie. It's not true. Uh, Another thing the world says, if you meet the right person, the right person... If you get in the right relationship, everything will be great. False. It's a lie. Because you can have the right person and still not have the right life. And so Satan and the world promised them happiness and fulfillment with materialism, with entertainment, with amusement, with activity, doing all the right things and having all the right possessions, if you just get your life packaged up just like this, you will be happy. And it's all a lie. You know, and I, I, there's not a better way to explain it tonight than that there is a God-shaped piece of the puzzle just missing in your life. Everybody has an emptiness and a void in their heart that will only be satisfied with God himself. It's only when God comes in and fills that heart, the person now says, I finally found it. I finally have it. And tonight, that's where it's at. And so even the people of God tonight, listen to me, people of God, it is possible that you have found God not satisfying to you. You know what God says about people? He says, if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. Okay? And so maybe if you have not found God satisfying to your heart's need, maybe you haven't sought him very diligently. Okay? 
Because he said, you will find me. And when you find God, you will find that you have found exactly what you've been looking for. Because he fills the emptiness of your heart. And so he comes, he came to heal the brokenhearted. And they are everywhere. Well, I want to tell you tonight, why does the world say what they say? And why do they promote what they do? It's because they don't have anything better. Okay? They just simply don't have anything better, so that's what they, they advertise. They say, this is what you got to have, this is what you got to do. They don't have anything better. People of God tonight, I want to tell you that what you have far exceeds, far exceeds what the world has. Sometimes we sit inside of our church, and you can't look out these windows because they're frosted glass, okay? But sometimes people are sitting in the church, and their needs are met, and they have a relationship with God, and their lives are full of beauty and glory and delight. And they look out and say, you know what? It's a little bit like, like Eve in the garden. They think that somehow we're missing out on something. Somehow... God is withholding from me something I think that I would like, and I think it might be good for me. It's a trick of the devil is what it is. It's a trick of the devil. Because I can promise you and guarantee you, and most people that that live out there would say, you don't want to be out here. You don't want it out here. You've got it better in there. But tragically, many times, people that are sitting in churches like this tonight, they look out and they think somehow they're missing out on something. You're not missing out on anything. The world around you, they look at you and they say, you people, you've got something. You found something. You are something. And don't be discontent with what you have because it is superior to what the world has. Don't covet what the world is doing because you've got something better. They don't have anything better, so that's why they do what they do. Jesus. Jesus heals the broken heart. Well, let's look at a few things tonight of how he does that. How does Jesus heal the broken heart? Well, I'll tell you what tonight. What's everybody looking for? What's everybody want in life? Everybody's looking for love, right? If you have somebody who loves you, you've really got it. A lot of people have nobody. Okay? If somebody loves you, you've got it. And really you've got it if you're in a love relationship with God. And you've really got it. Okay? Everybody needs and wants love. And there's no love like the love of Jesus Christ. So how does he heal my life? He heals me through his love. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this. Here is the full measure and extent of the love of Christ. It says that a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ was willing to lay down his life for you. Okay? Now we're not talking about all the people sitting here tonight. We're talk- not, not, not talking about the crowd. We're talking about you individually and personally. Can you picture tonight? I'll just I give you, try to paint a little picture for you. 
And that is imagining Jesus. There he is on the cross. He's laying down his life. Okay, we would like to think that Jesus is laying down his life. There he is. He's, he's dying on the cross. And there are billions of people all around him. All on every side. And we would like to think, yep, Jesus is dying for all these people. But I tell you what, leave them out of the picture. Just push them all aside. Just forget they're there. And you stand before the cross. And you look up there. You see Jesus. And he looks down at you and says, for you. This is for you. You. When I consider that, I am awestruck and dumbfounded that Jesus is on that cross giving his life for me personally. Okay? That is love. That is love that goes beyond any love that is found anywhere. There is no person that loves like that. Not even a wife, not even a husband, not a child, not a parent, nobody. That is love, and that love is for me. That heals my heart. That heals my broken heart to know that my Jesus, my Savior, loves me that much. He laid down his life for me. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so the love that Christ has for us heals the broken heart. Another way that he heals the broken heart is by his forgiveness. He forgives. You know, sin is a wreck. And sin is a ruin. And sin is a burden. Now, Probably all of you are sort of half familiar with the story of Pilgrim's Progress. But Pilgrim's Progress, there's a, there's a man that is seen with a great burden on his back, and he's going along with his great burden. And you know what? That is a burden of guilt, and that guilt comes from a life of sin. And it is a burden that is hard to bear. It is a burden that is a misery to bear, and it, it weighs you down, drives you into the ground. But at the cross, at the cross, the burden rolls off. At the cross, the burden is lifted. And you know what? I've done bad things. I've been a bad person. I've said things that shouldn't have been said. I've done things that shouldn't be done. But you know what? Those things are all gone. God is not holding those things against me anymore. God has forgiven me all my sins. Tonight, brothers and sisters, as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he forgives all our sins. And at the cross, the burden rolls off your back. And you stand up free. Free of your sins. Free of your guilt, you can stand tall and just say, praise God. Praise God, that is all gone. It's all behind me. It's all forgiven. There's a verse in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, 
verse 1, says, how much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus? You know? How much condemnation is there? (laughs) It says there's no condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I want to ask you tonight, if I may, if you carry around any guilt. Do you carry around any guilt after you know God has forgiven you? The truth is, you shouldn't and you mustn't. Okay? If you carry around guilt, if you still feel guilty, I still feel guilty for my sins, even though Jesus has forgiven your sins, it's like almost saying, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. And you know what that is actually doing? What are you calling God? If you don't think he did what he said he would do, you're calling him a liar. You're saying, God, I can't really trust you that you said you would do this, and I don't think you did. How ridiculous. I want to tell you tonight that when God says he does something, there is no question about the fact that he does it. If God said that you come to Jesus Christ with your sin and you trust in Christ who died on the cross for your sins, he shed his blood for your salvation, and you have sought his forgiveness. You said, God, please just forgive me of my sins. I confess it. God says, I forgive. And who are you to say he doesn't? So if you're, if you're walking around here tonight, no, nobody, you're, 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 sitting here tonight, and you're feeling guilty for sins that you've confessed long ago, please believe God. Believe him. He said you're forgiven. It, the burden is rolled off. You can live in freedom. In fact, Jesus said, if the Son will make you free, what, what, what about it? You're going to be free indeed. And people of God tonight, you have the blessed privilege of being some of the freest people that walk this planet because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. He has taken your sins away. That heals me. I'm telling you tonight, that heals me to know that my sins are gone. I don't need to worry about it anymore. And even if I sin tomorrow, I can come to God and say, God, I sinned again today. Would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry. And God forgives me tomorrow. It's a beautiful thing. I don't have to live with guilt. God forgives me of my sins, and that heals my broken heart. Well, another thing he does is he promises. He makes promises. His promises are not empty, but they are backed by his integrity. And God's integrity is perfect. He will do exactly what he said he would do. You know, God's people have been given many promises. One of the promises we've been given is that there is a perfectly perfect tomorrow out there for us. Okay? It's perfect. Everything's going to be perfect. And that gives me hope. And it gives me anticipation as I walk through this life that God is going to keep his promises. That also heals my broken heart. He can and he will do what he says. And tonight he promises you a future. And not only that, but he promises you today peace, joy, love, power. 
wisdom, and in the end, eternal life. And so tonight, if everything goes wrong, and the truth is, things will go wrong in this life. Things will go wrong. Somebody here is going to be the next one to die. I don't know, I don't know who it might be. Uh, your machinery is going to break down. Somebody here might have a house fire. Maybe a flood will come along, take all your possessions away. I don't know. There's, there's all kinds of problems again. Things can happen in this world. All kinds of things can happen. Things go wrong here. But you know what? Everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Forever. That's a promise of God, and that heals my broken heart. I don't have to be despairing over what's going on here because of God's promises to me and to you. Well, the next thing he says here is to preach deliverance to the captives. Now, it would really be a, a disaster. If Jesus went to all the jails in America and just unlocked the doors, that would be a disaster. Okay, all these jailbirds getting out of jail, running around our streets, that would be a bad show. Is that what Jesus meant? He's going to deliver the captives, it says here. He preaches deliverance to the captives. Well, we know that he's not going to empty out all the jails. But Jesus himself said, in John 8, 34, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And so those who are bound in sin, they are sin's captives. They are in sin's chains. And Jesus came to preach deliverance to the captives. So that people who are bound in sin can be set free from their sin. And again, we can say that we know that it's true. Because there are drunkards that are no longer drunkards. There are drug addicts that are no longer drug addicts. There are people who are addicted to immorality that are no longer addicted to immorality and pornography. There are people that have been delivered from every imaginable sin to live a life of godliness and righteousness and truth. So we know. We know that it can be done. And whatever sins you've been involved in in your life, I don't know what they are. But you know what? Jesus has delivered you from the captivity of your sin, whatever your sin is or was. And so we know that this is so. He preaches deliverance to the captives. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so those who live in sin are sin's captives. They are the slaves of sin. And the nature of sin is to put people into bondage. That is just the nature of sin. You can be in bondage to just about any sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Maybe we have a problem with anger. We can become bound in the sin of anger. Maybe we are, maybe we are, uh, you name it, whatever the sin might be. It's just the very nature of sin to bind those who are in, involved in it. And so Jesus, Jesus delivers the sinner from his sin. And so we know that the end of sin, what is the end of sin? 
God said it way back in the Garden of Eden. The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Okay, we know the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so we know that sin binds and delivers a person to death. That's where sin leads. So every time we decide, I could go on with this kind of stuff all night. But whenever we decide to sin instead of do righteousness, we are starting down the path that leads to death. Okay? If we can look at sin that way, it doesn't look very appealing. Okay, I'm, I'm sinning right now, but, you know, oh, this is starting me down the path to death. Okay, I'm going to withdraw from that. I'm not going to do that. Forget it. No. Okay? Because sin brings forth death. Well, sin is habit-forming, no matter what the sin is. Ultimately, it leads to death. Jesus breaks the power of sin. Jesus delivers from sin's chains. Jesus removes the guilt and the eternal consequence. Maybe there still will be consequence of our sin, but he removes the ultimate consequence of our sin, and he delivers the captives. And so tonight... Has he done it for you? Has he done it for you? Or are you still wallowing in sin? If you're wallowing in sin tonight, Jesus wants to deliver you. He wants to break the chains. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you a new life and purpose. Well, the next thing he says is the recovering of sight to the blind. Recovering of sight to the blind. We know that this was very literal. Jesus, as he went through Galilee and as he went through Palestine, he actually opened the blind eyes. Okay? Now, it's a, it's a very good exercise every once in a while, and children play this way sometimes, to act like you're blind. Just close your eyes and try to, try to imagine what it would be like to never see anything. Okay? I've, never, I've never seen a person. I don't know what they look like. I've never seen a tree, I've never seen a flower, I've never seen a bird. I don't know what they look like. I just I have no idea. It's just I, I just have no idea. I've never seen anything. And then to and then in in a moment, open up your eyes and look around and say, Wow. Can you imagine being a person who had never seen? And Jesus comes along and touches your eyes, and all of a sudden your eyes open for the first time. <laughs> imagine that. That would be that would be like the most wonderful experience that could ever be had. And even greater than that is having our spiritual eyes open so that we can understand, so that we can perceive, so that spiritual matters are no longer a total mystery to us, but now we understand. And Jesus came to open our eyes. And so he did that literally as he walked the earth. But in a spiritual sense, he does it as well. And he continues to do this today. We sang this evening. Thank you, brother, for leading us in our songs. But we sang this evening the song Amazing Grace. In that song we sing, I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you were literally blind, but it means that you did not understand. You did not have a perception of spiritual things. Your mind was closed to spiritual reality. But now your eyes are open. And you understand. You see things better, clearer than ever. 
Jesus said in John 9.39, he said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Might be a little confusing what that all means, but these people rejected Jesus based on their preconceived religious notions. He did not fit their understanding of religion. They thought they were seeing, while others, like the masses around them, these people are all just blind. We're the ones that see. Those who were ignorant, those who were unlearned, but those who were open, Jesus was able to teach. And so this evening, what we need to do is we need to admit our own ignorance. We need to say, Lord, please open my eyes. Please give me perception. Please give me understanding. Please help me to see things the way they really are. And you know what? Jesus delights to do that for those who are open to that. He wants to open your eyes. He wants to help you to see things the way they really are. We need to come to him and his word as a child in simple faith and trust in a readiness to obey. Lord, without you tonight, I'm blind. Please open my eyes. And then he says that he came to set at liberty them that are bruised. There's a similarity between this and what we looked at a few, a few moments ago. But bruised means crushed, broken, pressed down. Many a bruised, crushed, broken person has found that Jesus sustained them, strengthened them, kept them, healed them, and he put their lives back together. That's what Jesus delights to do in a person's life, put them back together. His grace is found to be sufficient. Jesus said in eight. And John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Real freedom tonight. Everybody wants to do as they please. That is, if they're the same down here as they are in my neighborhood. People just want to do what they please. They want to be able to go out on the road and they want to drive as fast as they want to drive. They want to just be able to do anything they want to do without any consequences. That's just the way people are, I guess. But real freedom tonight is found only in Jesus. It is in surrender to his will and to his way. And here is found the peace and the joy that everybody is looking for. It's in submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ. The last thing that Jesus mentioned in this passage was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to say that today is the day of salvation. This is the day that you can be saved. This is the day that you can be transformed. This is the day that you can begin a new life. This is that day. And you know what? February the 3rd, 2019, is still that day. Today is the day of salvation. This is the final proclamation in this passage.
Today being the day of salvation. We are living in the age of grace. The door is open. The Father's arms are open wide. And his ears are open to your prayers. We may come to him. He will receive us. He will accept us. He will save us. He will forgive us. And he will set us free. And as, uh, as Jesus said to those gathered in that synagogue on that day long ago, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And it is still being fulfilled today. These words of Jesus did not stop being fulfilled the day he went back to heaven, but they're still being fulfilled right now, today. Through the hands, through the feet, through the hearts, through the lips of his children. And so tonight, let's go forth to be Jesus to this hurting and broken world. The work of Jesus, as expressed in this passage, is turned over to you. It's your work. You are here to carry on the work of Jesus Christ. And so all the things that Jesus came to do, you're here to do. Because the world, I mean, we can't point to Jesus. We can't tell the world, okay, go over there and you'll find Jesus over there. He's, he's, he's in heaven. But you and I are here. We are his agents. We are his people. And this is the work he passes on to you. And so I commend that to you this evening. So that when you walk out these doors tonight, you are going to go forth as Jesus' person. And you're going to carry on the work that he came to do. All right? We're going to pray together. Do you want me to turn it back to you, brother? Should I, should I close the service? All right. So if you're here this evening, and something that was said in the message, maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And you have never yielded your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And you're saying, you know, after a message like that, I think I, think I need to become a Christian. I'm going to encourage you tonight, whoever you are, if anybody like that, to find somebody here tonight and say, you know what, I want to talk about what the preacher talked about tonight. I want to talk about being saved. And someone here can help you. Okay? So why don't we stand together. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat>